Welcome to the PaxX Podcast, available on Apple and Google Podcasts. This is Episode 72 of the show where we talk about how the airline passenger experience is evolving in a mobile, social, vocal world. I'm Mary Kirby, and I'm joined by my co-host, Max Flight. Max, how are you doing? I'm doing as well as, as well as can be expected, Mary. As you know, we just reached a major milestone on the Airplane Geeks podcast with Episode 600, so I'm a little bit high from that still. Pretty exciting. Ah, very good. Congratulations. And how are you? Ah, uh, you know, I, I'm doing all right, pushing forward. Um, Max, I don't know if you realize this, but I was raised on end time prophecy as a child. <laughs> so the last few months have been a bit of a trigger for me on a number of fronts. And suffice it to say, my pantry has a lot more dry goods in it now. And spam has even made an appearance for the first time, which is interesting. Operation Armageddon plan is in full swing. But in all seriousness, the hard reality, of course, is that a lot of people are hurting and suffering right now, either as a direct result of the COVID-19 pandemic or, of course, the knock-on effect of what it's doing to the economy and people's livelihoods. And many are facing food insecurity, housing insecurity, and sadly here in the United States, healthcare insecurity at a most precarious time. And so sometimes when we discuss the airline passenger experience, especially some of the negative changes that have occurred through the years, such as the tiny lav problem, which will prove to be even more problematic in a post-coronavirus world, it can seem to some people like a little bit of 21st century first world problems. (laughs) And as we reevaluate our priorities amid this pandemic, perhaps that's especially true now. So I want to be cautious, and I think it's important to stress here on the podcast before we get stuck in that we understand that many people are financially hurting and otherwise. And in fact, many are still waiting for refunds from airlines. And to be completely frank, many airlines have not showered themselves in glory in terms of returning people's money after canceling flights in response to government-imposed travel restrictions. And so that too is going to color recovery in the air travel industry because once bitten, twice shy. These are... Challenging times, different times. Uh, yeah, certainly uh, some people are suffering more than others, uh, some quite seriously as as a result of this. So it uh, certainly feels like a, a time to pull together, which I, I think most people are doing. But uh, why don't we get started and take a look at some of the PaxX news stories making headlines. Of course, the coronavirus pandemic is leading to a staggering number of fatalities around the globe, but it's also having a devastating impact on many industries, including aviation. As we've seen, air travel has plummeted as governments have enacted stay-at-home orders and travel restrictions, and airlines have been forced to park fleets, slash schedules, and seek government assistance. A number of regional carriers have gone out of business. Virgin Australia has entered administration, and employees at both airlines and aviation suppliers are fearful of losing their jobs. Some have already been furloughed, laid off, or accepted early retirement packages. Though airlines are flying only limited schedules, including to repatriate travelers, COVID-19 is also rapidly changing the passenger experience at virtually every touchpoint. We're going to discuss some of those changes today and consider whether air travel will be forever altered. So let's start with the -the on-the-ground experience. The U.S. Transportation Security Administration is allowing passengers to bring liquid hand sanitizer containers of up to 12 ounces per passenger in carry-on bags until further notice. 
Since the containers exceed the standard allowance typically permitted through a checkpoint, they need to be screened separately. New protocols are at two international airports, Hong Kong and Dubai. They serve as a good example of some of the changes we might see adopted by other airports. As first reported by Fortune, Hong Kong International recently became the world's first airport to introduce mandatory COVID-19 testing on entry into the country, whether passengers exhibit COVID-19 symptoms or not. The airport is also doing temperature checks before passengers enter the terminal, adding more hand sanitizer throughout the facility, regularly wiping down self-service kiosks, and employing robots for intensive disinfection on surfaces. In the United Arab Emirates, COVID-19 testing is taking place before flights depart, with Emirates becoming the first airline to conduct on-site rapid tests for departing passengers in coordination with the Dubai Health Authority. Thermal scanners are monitoring the temperatures of all passengers and employees stepping into Dubai Airport. In fact, thermal scanning has been adopted by many other airports, starting in China, where COVID-19 is believed to have originated. Physical distancing indicators are being employed. And similar to what we're seeing at grocery store checkouts, protective barriers have been installed at each check-in desk at Dubai Airport, according to Emirates. Additionally, gloves and masks are now mandatory for all of Emirates' customers and employees. Abu Dhabi-based Etihad Airways, meanwhile, is laying claim to being the first carrier to trial new airport technology that has the capability of monitoring the temperature, heart rate, and respiratory rate of any person using a check-in or information kiosk, a bag drop facility, a security point, or immigration gate. Etihad will trial the technology at the end of this month, starting with volunteers. It says it will automatically suspend the self-service check-in or bag drop process if a passenger's vital signs indicate potential symptoms of illness. Well, Mary, these are lots of changes, many, many changes at the airport. But when we're talking about before we even get to the airplane, what are some of your thoughts on this? Well... You know, Max, it really is clear, as you say, that virtually every touch point of the passenger experience is changing and very rapidly day to day. So again, as is often the case, no sooner will we just discuss it and something else will have changed, uh, you know, when we log off of this podcast. Um, but a company which is known for assisting airlines with managing in-flight medical events, Medair is its name, this week announced it's offering pre-flight COVID-19 screening services, much like you've just described. And I think that the Medair press release kind of speaks to what is, in fact, already happening uh, in the airports that you cited, plus others, including in London, Lima, and Los Angeles. It kind of may spell what we should expect at other airports soon. So Medair says that screening is conducted by on-site medical professionals prior to check-in at the origin city and consists of a questionnaire for contact history and symptom screening, including temperature checks. So going forward, if we should expect pre-flight medical assessments, temperature checks, and other technology employed uh, to do so, plus social distancing at check-in, social distancing at security checkpoints, and social distancing at the gate and during boarding. How early will passengers need to arrive at the airport? So when I fly out of Paris, Charles de Gaulle, I always arrive at least four hours before my flight. Now, three is recommended, but four makes me feel secure, having had some very close calls in the past. 
And I think to myself, will I be arriving five hours earlier now, six hours earlier? And how many people will say to themselves, sod that, it's not worth the headache. Now, that doesn't even begin to address the individuals who have seasonal allergies or other medical issues, but who don't, who have COVID-19 or indeed the flu, but will be afraid to fly now out of fear of fear of um, upsetting other travelers or being singled out during these screenings. And it seems imperative that these screeners are going to need to be sensitive to these issues. Um, and of course, it begs the question of, will passengers now need to carry papers, health papers saying, actually, no, this is not COVID. This woman has uh, seasonal allergies. And of course, there is also a faction of travelers, especially in America, who will see such measures as an infringement on their privacy and their civil liberties. And those individuals are kind of coming in for a lot of flack right now on social media, Max. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> and, uh, and on mainstream media, they're coming in for a lot of flack, um, citing uh, concerns about COVID-19 and and their civil liberties at the present. Uh, and I kind of go back to my own upbringing, as I mentioned earlier, and having, in fact, a staunchly Republican father who used to warn his children of the march of Big Brother and the nanny state. And so whether or not this type of thinking is wrong or crazy, however you want to describe it, a lot of people feel that way in this capitalist society that is still America. So I do wonder what will this all mean to the passenger numbers if pre-flight screenings become a permanent thing? Yes. If heat sensing technology at airports effectively turn each passenger into a heat map, you know, maybe it will just take time for people to get used to it. Um, maybe not. You know, America is a little unique in, uh, in this regard and we're not a socialist country, which um, some of us would like to see us go in that direction, but we're not right now. We're a capitalist country. So, um, you know, also, you know, on the face mask front, how many travelers will happily wear a mask for the duration of their journey? And what does that mean for eating and drinking at the airport and eating and drinking in flight? Uh, not to mention there's just general conversation. I mean, I was at the grocery store the other day and I was trying to communicate to the women that I needed, you know, a pound of sliced turkey. and We couldn't understand each other through the masks. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a lot of considerations, including communication and eating and drinking. An informal poll on Twitter shows that some people will happily don a mask um, in order to travel. Some individuals insist that they won't and others say they'll wear it if the airline provides it, um, as perhaps airlines probably should, because you don't know if someone is arriving to the airport with a mask that has already been contaminated. So there's so many considerations, Max. Max, will you wear a mask to fly? Oh, easily. I have no problem with that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. In fact, I've taken to uh, taking a Sharpie to my disposable masks and drawing a little smile on the mask, <laughs> which tends to have a really interesting effect on on other people you can you can feel them <laughs> smiling underneath their own masks when they see that i'm gonna try that i gotta i am gonna copy that max <laughs> yeah but there's you know we're, we're we're potentially looking at a lot of process changes at the airport since we're talking about that and there's probably a lot of awareness training not training but just a communication about what what the new rules become at the airport right. We're probably looking at maybe some facility changes at the airport as well. So, for example, when people are tested arriving on a flight or even departing, and if they don't pass the test, the check, whatever the screening is, temperature, et cetera, where do they go? How are those people processed? So do areas need to be right. set up in the, in the airport where that can take place? What about some of the high traffic areas like 
the restrooms. And those can sometimes now be kind of mobbed, particularly if you have a, you know, a large international arriving flight and hundreds of people are getting off the plane and heading for the restrooms. How is that queue managed, you know, and uh, how do we communicate these changes to people? A lot of issues, uh, one of them is enforcement. So if we have new rules at the airport, who is going to enforce those? Is it law enforcement, local law enforcement or airport security? There are just so many changes, so many questions. Uh, It has the potential to be so disruptive to the, the processes that maybe we don't love, but we've been used to for all these years. Absolutely. And and as you know yourself, these um, security processes haven't always been handled in the way they should, including we only need cast our minds back, say, for example, a few years ago to United Airlines and the dragging incident, you know, on board. Uh, so there needs to be some sensitivity training perhaps <laughs> in all of this as well. Well, besides the on the ground passenger experience changing of course in flight paxx is changing too in flight cleanliness sanitation it's now top of mind aircraft are being fogged overnight in some cases surfaces are being wiped down now some airlines are urging travelers to wear their face masks to prevent the transmission of the virus to others a number of carriers have formally mandated that crew and passengers wear masks but One of the biggest and most talked about changes we've seen is the adoption of social distancing in flight. How do you do that? Now, Mary, you spent a large portion of your career covering the topic of the densification of aircraft and advocating for passengers to have more room to move. What do you think about this decision by some airlines to block middle seats and space passengers apart? Uh, Well, Max, of course, it's deeply unfortunate that it takes a pandemic for airlines to offer passengers a bit more room. Um, Chinese carriers were, in fact, the first, of course, to implement social distancing on board under guidance from the government. And that was way back in January. Um, And then the dominoes all began to fall when coronavirus was officially named a pandemic by the World Health Organization. And then we started seeing other airlines follow suit, WestJet, EasyJet, Delta Airlines. Um, United, I believe, is the latest to say it's going to space people apart. Now, in the initial days of recovery, airlines may seek to incentivize passengers to fly with ultra-cheap flights, but we know that airlines can't make money on low load factors without pricing tickets accordingly. So, of course, we can expect higher fares going forward. Um, Ryanair, uh, the budget carrier out of my home country, Max, has already warned that it won't be able to make money with 66% load factors. And effectively, it suggests that it can't fly if it can't stick people in the middle seat. And no matter how you feel about the Ryanairs of the world, they have effectively democratized travel. So in a world where we're spacing passengers apart and where prices are going up, uh, will air travel become something only for the very rich and privileged? Another consideration is that consumer advocacy groups, including flyer rights here in the U.S., is calling for social distancing on board to truly mirror what we're seeing on the ground. And that means doing more than just blocking middle seats. Flyers' rights is calling for a separation of passengers by three to ten feet on airliners, Max. Whoa. (laughs) How do you do that? You're looking at skipping a few rows every few passengers. So it's a whole different ballgame. How does an airline even begin to make money under these suggested scenarios 
that becomes effectively the airline's problem. But again, if they're going to then price an economy class ticket like a business class fare in order to accommodate or more, um, it becomes air travel becomes the right of only the very, very few. Um, Tiny labs, of course, are a huge issue, and some passengers already don't fit into these labs. God knows we've talked endlessly about it because it's so important, Max. You know, you've got passengers already on these aircraft having to walk backwards into the lab because they don't fit or they or they simply just don't fit in the door. And some have complained that they can't, of course, execute basic hygiene in the lab. Will COVID-19 change the game for aircraft labs? It's difficult to understand how airlines, on the one hand, can implement social distancing while pointing to these tiny spaces uh, in which to execute your hygiene. Uh, difficult to understand uh, how you can mesh these two messages and, and what will it mean to the onboard laboratories going forward. Um, meanwhile, aircraft interiors companies are already innovating for a post-pandemic world. An Italian company, Avio Interiors, has stolen the headlines with two designs, one called Janus, which creates a forwards-backwards configuration with a wraparound shell for each seat and a head-level transparent thermoplastic screen around each passenger. And it's reminiscent, uh, the actual configuration is reminiscent of the long-haul business class British Airways Club World uh, forwards-backwards product. Um, another, area, uh, another idea that Avio Interiors is calling a quick and dirty solution simply attaches a similar sort of thermoplastic material to each seat with a cutout for passenger shoulders so that you're sort of encased in plastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so here again, however, passengers of size, including those with broad shoulders. So when we say passengers of size, we do mean passengers of all size. We mean passengers of height, passengers that are broad, passengers that are carrying a bit of extra weight, and also passengers with re reduced mobility that need more space to move around. These individuals are concerned about what a new paradigm in flight involving encasing seats in plastic might, uh, might look like and whether or not they're going to fit. Um, what do you think of these ideas, Max? They're interesting ideas. I think Avio Interiors has come up with some plausible, maybe, ideas. But I think it comes down to, are we looking at an issue that will decrease in criticality in the coming years, perhaps? Or is this a, lo a long-term issue? If it's a long-term issue, I, gee, I'm not sure it's sustainable for airlines under those kind of conditions. I think a key factor is uh, something that Richard Abalafia brought up uh, last night, actually, in a webinar hosted by the New England Air Museum. And he's thinking that we're not going to see a V recovery, that it's going to be a longer-term recovery, particularly for the aviation industry. And he's looking to recovery maybe by 2023 or 24. But it really hinges on the availability of a vaccine. With no vaccine, then confidence in close quarters, as you might find on an airplane, is just not going to happen. But with a vaccine, then you wonder that if it's effective, do you really need these things like these plastic encased passengers on an airplane? And I'm not even sure that they will actually do anything. I kind of think of how do you keep sardines in a can from touching each other? Well, you can wrap each one individually, put a little barrier between each one, but the fish juices are still going to mingle across the uh, the sardines. And it might be the same with passengers in an airplane. Good point, which might be why so many airlines now are pushing uh, for, the, for everyone to wear masks, because that at least is a tangible thing that you can do without reconfiguring an aircraft. 
But I do wonder about what about the the next virus that pan, the next pandemic. I don't know. COVID nineteen has been a real eye opener, a, a real wake up call. And um, you know, do we put measures in place that are preparing us for for the next go round, the next pandemic to hit the world? People are funny. You know, people have short memories, and if the recovery doesn't extend for too long a period of time, and then if there's some gap between this event and the next big one, people have a tendency to kind of forget and to uh, go back to their old habits and things that used to be comfortable. So I, I, to me, that's a big question that's open is to what degree is that going to happen versus uh, us seeing some permanent changes in how people behave. I think there will be some. I'm certainly going to, you know, when they become available again, keep a good supply of masks and uh, uh, wipes and things like that <laughs> handy. But uh, other than that, how much is it going to change my life? I'm, I don't know. It could be a lot. could be not so much. I don't know. Okay. Good point. I mean, and back to what you were saying about uh, Richard Apalavia's words um, uh, this week, uh, Delta Airlines also during their earnings uh, conference called Ed Bastion uh, predicted at least three years, uh, if memory serves, that, you know, and, and he even used the word several years to get to a recovery point, which is daunting to actually think about that. <laughs> yeah. Several years. Wow. <laughs> I really like the uh, title of uh, Richard's presentation. It was uh, something like, pretty close to something like like this, uh, that for the aviation industry, it's like falling off a cliff, but without the view. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, that says it right there. <laughs> All right. Well, in-flight services have also changed during the pandemic. We've mentioned a couple things here. Uh, that Delta is among the carriers perhaps leading the charge on this front. That U.S. major recently announced that customers in all cabins will now receive their own personal snack bags on domestic flights. The snack bag can double as an individual trash collector once its contents are consumed. I think that's an interesting idea, except the snack bags currently include Cheez-It crackers. Uh, don't you have to lick your fingers after you eat Cheez-Its? So maybe there's a better choice. But uh, anyway, air- <laughs> anyway, airlines are removing in-flight magazines in the name of hygiene and embracing digital press readers. Even onboard amenity kits are poised to change. Uh, amenity kit maker Kalis has revealed a self-protective pocket pouch, or SP3, and it contains a three-layer disposable mask, nitrile gloves, and hand-sanitizing alcohol wipes. This is an idea that I like. People will love these, I think, and they'll want to take extra SP3 pouches home with them. But it's also a great marketing opportunity, potentially. Branded masks and wipes. I could just see us going from United Breaks Guitars to United Murders Virus right on the hand sand wipes package. So what do you think about that, Mary? No, no, you're right. You're right. And it's funny, Max, because I just hit publish on a piece from John Walton, um, this morning, uh, addressing kind of the future of like um, in-flight amenity bags. And I'm going to quote him directly because it's just fantastic. He says, given that wearing a mask seems likely to be a prerequisite for being allowed into an airport, are actual airline branded face masks going to be the new airline pajamas? Will the hot towel service be replaced by a flight attendant clad in branded PPE walking down the aisle with a tub of Clorox wipes? Is PPE the new IFE? 
it certainly seems likely that we'll, we, we will see passengers going full Naomi Campbell when they fly. And of course, Naomi Campbell, a kind of somewhat infamous for a video uh, that she released a year or so ago, wiping every surface on board the aircraft down. Mm. Um, but I see that happening, don't you? I mean, getting on, sitting on, on your seat and then looking around you and thinking, okay, the airline's probably clean this, but I'm going to take that extra precaution. I'm going to break out my little disinfectant wipe and I'm going to wipe down the screen. I'm going to wipe down my the armrests and everything around me. I, I think passengers are going to go there, don't you? I certainly do. I think I will go there too. And I, I think the, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the stigma has been removed that in yeah in the past people would look at you doing something like that and think you were kind of crazy or obsessive or yeah. or something like that but yes i think that's uh, going to be something that we all do and wearing gloves more often right you hear the phrase the new normal but uh, it's really what it is i think in terms of having to pay more attention to to sanitizing things around but I, there is always, uh, you know, there's always a counter argument to everything. And one counter argument is if we over sterilize things, then we won't become resistant to things that we would otherwise, as a species, become Too resistant sure. to. Um, and I think, in fact, uh, Sweden is taking a different approach. I saw yes. a report where Sweden is actually not encouraging quarantining, self-quarantining, and social distancing uh, because uh, you want to, and I don't know if they use this term, but you want the herd resistance to be to be yeah. strong, and you, that only happens if you come in contact with these things. That's a good point. You know, George Carlin has a good skit on that, Max, <laughs> on building up immunity. <laughs> and I'm the type of gal who actually has surrounded herself with germs since, since she was young. So I, I'm that person that... Uh, and now this is going to evoke a response, I know. But I am that person who has, on occasion, stepped into the aircraft lab with only my socks on. Um, mm -hmm. I am that person that, you know, doesn't immediately sanitize her hands after using a gas pump, for example. And, and so I'm on the other side of the spectrum where I've always argued from the standpoint of I'll just surround myself with all of it to build up immunity. Knock on wood, I've been very lucky on this front in that um, I generally have not come down with serious flus in the past, shall we say. But now, of course, those are always the famous last words if you start hearing me cough here at the end of this. Um, but the end result is, yeah, it's interesting what Sweden is doing. I find, I'm, I'm tracking that with, you know, with some yes. interest anyways. Yeah. Yes, it, it's going to be very interesting to see um, in the future after some data is available about all these different right. things, you know, what the, what the real truth is. Well, let's talk about the supply chain a little bit. Uh, the supply chain, like the airlines that they serve, they're being financially pummeled by the pandemic. And it remains to be seen who will survive this crisis and who might sadly have to close up shop and what that might mean for the passenger experience. But Mary, I know you've been tracking this uh, fallout very closely. What can you tell us and what does COVID-19 mean for the future of IFE? It's a difficult situation, Max, to say the very least. Um, the supply chain is, of course, suffering. Every aspect of the aviation supply chain is suffering. PaxX very acutely. Now, the in-flight connectivity world was already grappling with some very uh, serious financial challenges um, due to reasons that we've discussed, of course, in the past. And that is, of course, that uh, passengers don't want to pay for connectivity. They just want it there like air. <laughs> To work and to be connected, but they don't necessarily want to fork over large amounts of money to pay for it. So the connectivity crowd was having to have a rethink about its model even before coronavirus. But we've we've seen um, the pain hit 
a number of stakeholders on that front, including a very recently GOGO here in the United States, which is um, going to furlough up to 60% of its uh, workforce here in a couple of days. Um, and we're also uh, hearing from a number, a number of Paxex suppliers that are uh, furloughing employees, laying people off. Um, Talus and Panasonic recently had had layoffs um, here in the United States. Um, we're seeing smaller suppliers, of course, um, seeking aid and relief and, and going through the, the Small Business Administration uh, aid that's provided in the U.S. and now, of course, in countries elsewhere where, where relief and aid is being provided to small businesses. So there is a lot of pain on that front. There are also a lot of questions, open questions about what the future of IFE is going to look like. Now, wireless contactless experiences have already been a thing, Max, of course, with the march of in-flight connectivity and the march of streaming video and wireless, you know, wireless IFE. Um, that's already been happening on board aircraft, especially narrow body aircraft um, in terms of the wireless IFE solution. So it seems logical that they're going to gain some steam, uh, steam now. The seatback IFE, there's a big question mark as to what the future looks like. And there's kind of two schools of thought. You have uh, the school of thought that says that's, a, that's an inherently touchscreen device that people may not want to touch. Um, there is another school of thought that says we already have technology that allows passengers to use their own mobile device as a remote control. So effectively, you can leave those seatback screens in place in a post-COVID world and just introduce that technology. It comes at a cost, but it it's there, Max, where a person can use their PED to use the monitor in front of them. But some will see this as an opportunity for all wireless cabins. And some may say, no, you know what? Having a seatback screen, having an overhead screen serves actually as a broadcast device for us to impart the new in-flight protocols that passengers are all going to need. So there's a safety aspect to seatback screens and overhead screens insofar as it allows you to broadcast to everyone. It allows you to broadcast both verbally and visually. And in a world where we are going to see new protocols in flight, could airlines use that to their benefit? So I, of course, remain interested in how it's all going to shift out. And we're trying to look at every angle. And on top of everything else, the major Hollywood studios have released their some of their new movies direct to the home market during the pandemic. And that has uh, given people a lot of great content during this difficult time, which um, on the one hand is fabulous, but on the other hand, it effectively squashes that early window movie content that passengers used to get on board uh, cruise lines and on aircraft. So what does it mean for that model um, that has helped to uphold seatback IFE for so long? So, yes, we're daring to talk about all these topics on Runway Girl Network, knowing full well that, you know, it, you know, it, it affects uh, it affects our industry in such a meaningful way in PAXX, um, however it evolves. Yeah, I hadn't really contemplated the idea that uh, seatback IFE represents a broadcast mechanism for the airline uh, in, in that way. It makes a lot of sense because I'm inclined to prefer to use my own devices, you know, roll my own and uh, keep my devices current with whatever type of entertainment or or work or whatever activities I want to participate in while I'm riding in the plane. Uh, so that's where I tend to go. 
Of course, the cost of cha- making changes to the IFE strategy is is significant and not something that can be changed really quickly, I would think. I mean, what we have now is, is not going to change tomorrow. And right. uh, whether or not it changes in the future to uh, accommodate these kinds of uh, new realities, uh, it might depend to a certain extent on how much it would cost to retrofit these things. Yeah, and maybe it maybe it's something where it'll be decisions that are made when we get back to a point where new aircraft are being ordered, which looks like it's going to be a ways off for now. But yes, if we get to back to that point, and also as you're, you're absolutely right, you can't you're not just going to immediately rip out screens. But at the same token, in order to provide those screens with content, you are looking at licensing costs. So Global Eagle is a is a very big provider of content to airlines as a content service provider for airlines. And it shared some color about this just a few weeks ago insofar as it said that airlines are not refreshing their content right now. As you can imagine, it's like the last thing on their list <laughs> to refresh sure. the content. But will they do that going forward? Will they say to themselves, look, we can explain to passengers, this is a difficult time. We're face, all facing challenges. We have not updated our content. And how many passengers would respond to that with a negative response? I think most people would understand that. I mean, content licensing is a cost. The cost of connectivity, satellite capacity is a cost. So how does the in-flight entertainment and connectivity industry have that conversation with airlines? And how do they partner with airlines on recovery going forward that sees them remaining uh, a going concern? Because it's cost at the end of the day. We can't deny it. Yes. What do you think? The, from a cost standpoint, there are some interesting things going on. And I don't know if they represent uh, an opportunity for for the airlines, but uh, you know, fuel costs are extremely low right now. Cost of capital is extremely low yeah. right now. Many of the other costs that an airline faces are very low right now. And I'm curious to see if any of them view that as an opportunity to do some things that they might not have done right now, maybe ever, but at least right now. And uh, if we could see some sort of creative, interesting things coming to bear because of that. No, I think that's interesting. I think that's a real possibility. And Etihad Airways, again, um, they've taken this time. Now, I guess they're in a financial position to do so, to do some updates and upgrades to their fleet, including IFE, which is interesting. Mm. Um, We highlighted that on the site. So you're right. There will be airlines that will get creative. And I wonder if Delta won't be among those carriers because, of course, they're nearly fleet-wide with seatback IFE. Uh, so I'd say all eyes are kind of on Delta here, at least from a, a U.S. perspective. And I have to say, I saw something really interesting on Twitter the other day. Alaska Airlines um, posted a really positive message about it. We're all in this together. And they posted a picture of a flight attendant in front of a rows of seats with seatback screens. And they were immediately sort of, it was highlighted in the thread where people are saying, well, what what is this? What aircraft is this? You know, you, you know, you don't have seatback screens. And, oh, this is the few remaining Virgin America aircraft that are need to be um, uh, reconfigured. And the Alaska Airlines um, individual on Twitter said, don't get used to it. You know, don't get used to it. But then someone said, then why are you posting a picture of it? <laughs> like, don't post a picture <laughs> yes. of it. So, so like, don't tempt us with seatback screens. So there's still what I saw from that thread. What I thought was interesting was, there is still a strong contingent of passengers who do want 
the CPAC IFE experience. Now, will we be using the CPAC IFE in a different way? Will we be, will we be simply wiping it down um, as soon as we sit down and then feel comfortable with the touchscreen device? I mean, I guess it's all to be seen, but there is, as you say, an opportunity for some airlines to get really creative right now and say, okay, well, I don't have a huge fuel bill. Let's put it into content uh, for our passengers. Yes, but um, one of the uh, one of the I guess final interesting things that that I'd like to point out is that single use plastic is having a moment in Aviation Max in a time when you know for years airlines have been talking about how they're going to try and get rid of single use plastic and now everything's being bagged up with plastic and wrapped in plastic. So while the Paxx supply chain is hurting, those in the plastic industry are probably yes. doing all right right now. So um, so very interesting days. But of course, we're rapidly coming to a close and I want to thank our listeners. Remember, you can find us online at runwaygirlnetwork.com and on Apple and Google Podcasts. Be sure to follow all the Runway Girl Network activity on Twitter at at Girl. And remember to use the PaxX hashtag when tweeting about the passenger experience. Join in the conversation. We would love to have you. And be sure to join us again next time as we talk about the passenger experience on the PaxX podcast. Take care, everyone. Mm-hmm.